Welcome to One Day Contract, the Panthers talk show where each week we're joined by a new personality who we've signed to a one-day contract to join the show. One Day Contract is a proud part of the Riot Network. Follow the Riot Network on Twitter at the Riot Network to stay up to date on all your favorite pods. New episodes coming every week. Subscribe, rate, love us on iTunes. My name is Nikki Wolf. With me, as always, Colin Hoggard, columnist and contributor for the Riot Report. And I don't think he's slept since the Hornets got the third pick in the NBA draft lottery. Have you just been playing scenarios in your head, getting ready? Just a big old plate of sports cocaine got put down in front of me, and I've been snorting ever since. It's glorious. Like, it's, it's, it's uncut. It's untainted by 2020. There's no COVID concerns with a third pick. It's just glorious. And then you realize that much like 2020, the selection of the basketball players not going to be great in 2020. You know, like the like the best picture situation. But we will we will uh, do the best we can with this uh, this bright shining little bit of goodness that has fallen in our laps in 2020. Our guest has a look of concern on his face, so let's go ahead and bring him in on the one-day contract this week. Travis Hancock, co-host of the Mac Attack on WFNZ, dog father to Mabel, but you probably know him from his breakout performance in last season's All or Nothing. T-Bone, oh, what's up? How are you handling the fame? Please, we're not, we're not focused fame. on... Right, we're not focused on all or nothing. We're just focused on whatever the project is coming up next. Uh, Nikki and the Cocaine Cowboy. I appreciate you guys for having me on today. <laughs> it's great to be on here. Although I was, I was told by my publicist that this was Catfish. I didn't know that this was the one. I thought this was the Catfish podcast. I did not know that <laughs> this was a dating setup situation. So, but I'm glad to be here. Good to see you, you guys. Are like family, but you know, family that I avoid a lot. So it's good to see you guys though on Zoom. Enticing people into relationships is so 2010. Enticing people into <laughs> podcasts is 2020. Uh, and if anyone's still falling for Catfish in 2020, quite frankly, that's on you. Like, you're still falling for it, although I think I just fell for one. So uh, more on that later, I guess, right? Is Manti Teo, like, living on a fishing boat now? Like, what's he doing now? Like, has anybody checked in on him? Like, he got a great Notre Dame education, right? Like, sure. Surely he's somewhere now. No, he's the first guy. He's the first guy to ever be actually ghosted before. Like he actually got ghosted before. <laughs> the originator of ghosting. What I need to know this, T Bone. During this pandemic, are you cooking a lot now? I feel like you're in the kitchen a lot more with the pandemic um, going on. I had to I had to move location. Sorry, my internet over there was getting a little spotty, so I moved to my other location. This is this is the location where I normally get drunk and talk to the Roaring Riot fan base on Friday night. So hopefully, uh, I don't get hammered over here, and you guys can hear me okay. Uh, I am cooking a lot. I've got an air fryer, so I'm air frying uh, everything from uh, cheeseburgers to um, to hamburgers, back to cheeseburgers, then more hamburger. I haven't really ventured past much of the uh, the basics, but it's uh, Chicken wings. I cook my own chicken wings sometimes. That's been pretty uh, pretty awful, too, because they're, they're not very good. No, I'm, I'm trying to cook, but I could not actually cook for other people and feel good about it. But I couldn't – like, Colin's a pretty good chef. Colin could say, like, hey, your kids and wife, here's a meal. Enjoy yourselves. Me, personally, I couldn't actually give what I eat to human beings. So that just – it would just be a complete and utter mess. It's all about cutting it into shapes that, that seem appealing. That's what it's really all about. 
Exactly. And I, I still cut my food into my, my grilled cheeses that I make. It's still cut into out the crust, four pieces. Four pieces? Do you love yourself? Uh, two, no, not two, two pieces. Yeah, yeah. my counting's not my thing. Sorry. Oh, okay. Diagonal cut? Yeah. Okay. Got to be. Well, it depends on the day. Sometimes it's four pieces. Sometimes it's two pieces. You know, just depends. Depends on the day. How that the day seemed- went. That is an unnecessary complication to the lunch process. Two pieces is manageable. The fourth piece, that third piece, you try and carry that, that, that could go anywhere. Mabel's eating a third piece more often. Can, I tell, can I tell you guys, I got a problem with people on Facebook, and I'm sure Colin's talking this out before too. The guys on Facebook that call themselves grow masters and always post their food all the time, it can be on any social media. But like they call themselves a grow master. It's like I need to see proof of people eating your food. I, you're not the one that calls yourself a grill master. Like, you, can I get some proof here, a witness to your food? I can post food all day long. It doesn't mean it's good. I need to see people eating it and vouching for your food. Don't just call yourself a grill master. It just because you, know, you show like, up in a field with a big grill and have some barbecue sauce does not make you a grill master. Right. Look, I feel, I exactly. feel judged as, as, as a guy that, that uses a gas grill. I don't even feel like I'm invited to the conversation. I don't even feel like I have a seat at the table right now. In, in the in the grill master community it's it's tough living out here as a gas man how do you think i feel i'm not allowed to have a grill in my apartment complex i if we had a grill off i'd have to bring my george foreman grill <laughs> you show up you show up to a grill off with george foreman and you're getting mocked for years you're talking about in circles for years in the grilling community do they even let you into the competition if that's what you're bringing as your yeah as a grill? special exception it's like an accessibility thing where they're like, yeah, hey, let the guy with the, the George Foreman grill come in. Or, you know, it's, it's sort of like, you're like, hey, it, it's for health purposes. And they're like, well, what are we going to do? Not let him in this thing? It's for health purposes. It's got the little drain and, it, and it's, it's at an angle. So all the fat runs off. No other grill has that. Exactly. Before we dive right into Panthers talk, I do want to take one moment here just to have a few minutes of seriousness before the fun. Um, and just kind of talk about, you know, Ron Rivera announced that he has cancer. And, you know, I just want, you know, keep pounding was always, you know, a big thing to him. And when my sister passed, it'll be two years and about a month um, when she got sick right there near the end. Ron Rivera and the Panthers sent her a letter and a keep pounding flag that hung in her hospital. And that's something that I will. I will never forget that. And that was just so touching and moving for our family. And, you know, I wish the best for Ron Rivera. We all do. I know this whole, this whole Panthers family is behind Ron Rivera. And we know that he can beat this thing. Well, all the people that are criticizing him over the years, he, you know, doesn't diagnose defensively. Or He's diagnosing his own cancer now. Like this, this guy is, has been an incredible part of this community for a decade. And when you think about the last 10 years, and, and I mean, Certainly it all peaks in 2015 in that special season. But when you think about what it means to not just be a Panther, but to be, to be a, a, a man in the community, I think in the, in the last two decades, the guys that I'll think of really side by side are Ron Rivera and Thomas Davis. And through a lot of things, Ron Rivera had to be the face of this franchise. Jerry wasn't speaking publicly anymore. David Gettleman was more than happy to stay in his office. And Ron Rivera had to face the music on a lot of things that weren't football related. Then he goes to Washington, has to deal with the situation that's been boiling for decades, seemingly, with, the, with their name. And 
now he's got this. I really hope the, the day comes that he just gets to gets to coach football again because um, he's he's really been a special part of this this organization for a long time. Well, I've been here in Charlotte for 16 years, almost 16 years now, like 15 and a half years. And I don't think I've seen a person – if you did a top five list of, like, most beloved figures from guys that I've dealt with, just me personally, guys that I – either I hear about what the, what they're like or I know personally what they're like, I don't think that they they come any better than Ron Rivera, honestly. Like, he's, he's on that way. He's in that top one, two, three range for the person that he is because he's a head football coach. But when you talk to him, you don't you don't get that you don't get that sense. John Fox came on with us zero times in his coaching career, zero times. Now John Fox comes on like every other week because you can't get enough of us. But like when he coached the game, John Fox came on zero times, and that, that you know that's that's like a lot of pro coaches. Ron Rivera came on, I'd say, ten, twelve. 15, he was on the station at least thirty to forty five times in his career through various other shows. Like think about that for a minute. Think about he he loved it. He loved the fans. And I'm not saying – I'm saying, like, it's past tense as a Carolina football coach, not a, as a person. But he, he, he loved the media. He loved the fans. And I think one day when it's all said and done, we put the wins and losses aside, how it ended aside. That dude deserves to be honored in some way by the Panthers, whether it's in the ring of honor. I don't know what it is. But there better be a day at some point down the line where we honor Ron Rivera, not just a football coach, but who that guy is as a person. When you look at the Charlotte pro sports scene, there's not been that many figures that have been bigger pieces longer than Ron Rivera. You're Steve Smith, Michael Jordan, uh, as, as owner of this second edition. And who, who else? I mean, Kemba's run isn't longer. Cam's run is the same. Like, like who is longer than Rivera – and, and mattered on the top. Most coaches don't last as long as him. Most quarterbacks haven't lasted as long as he has. I mean, he really stands out as one of the figures that has mattered in the post-expansion era, I think, of Charlotte sports. You know what? Yeah. He never lost himself either. He, he stayed true to himself as his tenure here. That dude stayed true to himself from the moment he got here, and we saw the last words he said here at his press conference. And that's what that's will send out. This dude got let go insisted on doing a press conference and spoke from the heart that that last press conference to me I want to go back and watch it again at some point because that that is all-time stuff and I think that was who he was he never he never lost himself despite some bad years too from 2011 to 2020 that that guy or 19 whatever I don't know what year we're in anymore but that dude stayed true to himself throughout the whole entire thing yeah absolutely if you want to hear another beautiful story um if you're familiar with Charlotte beer scene at all. Uh, Matt McKenzie, writer here, has been going through a, a cancer battle, and he sat down with Nick Carboni, who shared his story where he talked about how much uh, Ron Rivera did for him and everything. And it's a beautiful story. He's got it on his Twitter. You can check that out. But, you know, from all of Panthers Nation, we say keep pounding to Ron Rivera. And, you know, good man, good human. You don't get to say that a lot in the, in yep. the world. Now the other big, no, right. the other big headline that we need to bring up is the big dog is not here. Fun time with no big dog. No big dog. Oh, who's, not, who's that? Who's not? Who's missing? Who's not here right now? Oh, maybe you've heard of Josh Klein. He's on the show sometimes. He's just—he's not here today. Three-time self-proclaimed podcaster the, of the year. I thought Josh. 
I thought Josh Klein was the former uh, Celtic and Phoenix Sun Center in the early to mid-90s. Is that not the same person? No, no, uh, no. It's Joe Klein, sorry. The, the linebacker that played for the Panthers is like a second unit guy and then ended up with the Saints. That's who I think – that's a Josh Klein. Oh, yeah, yeah. I got you now. Yeah, dad's away, so let's let's have fun today. I mean, I've been trying to be optimistic about this Panthers team for a while, and I feel like Josh has really kind of hindered me. He's kind of reined me in. He, the looks that we get over these Zoom calls where he's just kind of just <laughs> kind of disapprovingly, and I, I'm just excited to talk about this offense and what I think this offense can be. I mean, we've talked for a couple weeks here. I've been bullish about it. Boney is a Jets fan. One of the main pieces – uh, that we're adding to this offense is Robbie Anderson from the Jets. And I think he's a guy that, that, that gets overlooked. There's a lot of Curtis Samuel discussion, DJ Moore, you know, Teddy Bridgewater discussion, but Robbie Anderson just kind of plugging him in. And what he brings, and I want, I want to get Boney's input on what he brings, but th- for the last four seasons, Robbie Anderson's averaged over 14 yards a catch. The guys, the receivers that do that in this league are names like Mike Evans, A.J. Green, T.Y. Hilton, and Julio Jones. Those are the guys that are putting up consistently 14 yards uh, per reception per game. Not saying that he's in that class, Boney, but what do you expect him to add to this Panthers offense? Oh, he, he adds a ton. He has an element that, quite frankly, we don't see here, and that's a free agent wide receiver addition that's going to contribute. Because you go through the history of this franchise, where they had to Keyshawn Johnson for a year. They've added various guys over the years. But this is actually a guy that's not at the end of the run that can contribute for a while. Not only does he make the catches that you talked about, 14 yards to catch, with it's a Jets. Think about some of the quarterback plays had during his time there. But he makes tough catches. He makes contested catches. He makes plays down the seam and down the field. You're like, having Robbie Anderson get that ball in there. And the thing that I like about it, and I was thinking about it today, not many teams have this, Colin and Nikki, where Robbie Anderson is technically speaking, he's the second wide receiver next to DJ Moore, but he's really the third receiving option with Christian McCaffrey. How many teams would have Robbie Anderson with 700 yards as the third option? 700 yards last year, what? He had Luke Falk playing quarterback for three or four games last year. Robbie Anderson is a 1,000-yard type wide receiver. He would be over that if Sam Darnold played most of the year. So you've got DJ Moore and McCaffrey, your one and two options. Robbie Anderson, your third. Curtis Samuel somehow last year had 600-plus yards receiving. So your third and fourth options with terrible quarterback play last year ended up with 700 yards and 600 yards receiving. That's, that's, pretty, that's pretty impressive when you think about it. You mentioned something this Panthers offense has not had. You look at the, the, the Panthers receivers um, in the history of the franchise that have averaged 14 yards per reception with 40-plus targets per season. Not surprisingly, the top of the list, seven times Steve Smith did that. 14 yards a catch, 40-plus targets per season. Moose did it three times. No one else in Panther history has done it more than once. But D.J. Moore did do it in 2018 when he actually had some decent quarterback play. So you have those two guys now as, as your number one and number two for this offense. And, I, I, Boney, I, I'm just curious, are you, where are you as far as being bullish on this offense? Because I think this offense legitimately can outscore other teams. Uh, I think so, too. The defense is a, is a question I'm sure we'll discuss. But as far, as far as the offense goes, we know what we're kind of getting from D.J. Moore. We just talked about Robbie Anderson. and We've talked, obviously, ad nauseum about what Christian McCaffrey is. It's what the other two guys can bring to this offense that takes them from good 
to potentially really good. And those other two guys are Curtis Samuel, whatever they're going to use him as, whatever offensive weapon he is, and Ian Thomas. Because Teddy Bridgewater, not a tremendous deep down the field thrower, but he's going to find the tight end and he's going to find McCaffrey a lot. So if Ian Thomas and Curtis Samuel add in to what we know DJ Moore, Christian McCaffrey, and Robbie Anderson are, all of a sudden you go from some pretty from some some good weapons to whoa, they've got five dudes on offense with Bridgewater not turning it over, playing smart football. You go, wow, this offense could be really really special when you think about it. I went back to uh, a team called the 1999 St. Louis Rams. Some people call them the greatest show on turf. They were projected in the preseason to be third in their division. This from the SI vault. I just want to read you guys a couple of clips that I, that I pulled today. Um, this is Dick Vermeule, coach like at the it. time. Having Falk changes everything. We've got weapons this year like you wouldn't believe. Isaac Bruce, when he's healthy, is the best wide receiver there is. And we drafted Torrey Holt, who would be an instant playmaker. When we split Marshall – Wide will line up Greg Hill at halfback, and he was ripping up defenses before he got hurt last year. For the first time since I came back, we'll have four players on the field who are capable of scoring at any time. Mm-hmm. That sounds an awful That's lot tough. to me like this crew. And the, 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 the main component of that is that we have a guy that's often compared to Marshall Falk. And that's not just us saying that. Like, that's the legitimate comparison. So if they just had Mike Davis back there, you'd be like, oh, okay, well, they're going to have to really chuck it. But when you've got that dude back there, who we don't talk about is receiving enough, and the fact that he's got the second most catches in the history of the game through three years, not as a running back, as a wide receiver. I mean, Michael Thomas is the only dude in three years that has more catches than Christian McCaffrey. So when you factor in, we've got the Marshall Falk. I'm not saying DJ Moore and Anderson are Holt and Bruce because that's well, that's, that's, that's a lot. That's, that's, that's big. That's, that's, big. That, that's Hall of Fame stuff. So that's I don't think you're saying that they could maybe be that, but there are elements to that where you can say, hey, there's stuff here. And also, think about the quarterback in 99, Kurt Warner, written off, unknown. We don't know anything about him. He's a journeyman in there. And, and we've seen th- times in sports where guys get to different situations. Brent, another example of Colin is this, too, not just 99 Rams. And, again, there's not Carter and Moss on this team. I understand that. Randall Cunningham missed the 96 season with injuries. Randall Cunningham was thought to be done. Randall Cunningham goes into a situation in Minnesota where all of a sudden you saw different elements to his game. He's chucking the ball. He can always chuck it. But all of a sudden, Randall Cunningham is, like, one of the great passers in the game. So guys get in different situations. A guy like Rich Gannon in Oakland. Rich Gannon was all right in Kansas City. He was okay, kind of a game manager. Rich Gannon gets in the right system. All of a sudden, the guy that was a veteran, he blows up. So to sit here and just base Teddy Bridgewater off what he was, guys sometimes find themselves in different situations. And if Teddy Bridgewater, I'm not saying he's Kurt Warner or Rich Gannon, but I'm not going to say he can't be better than he's been. I'm not going to say that either. Well, and I look back at Teddy's, you know, the, the narrative on Teddy. He has one playoff game. He's a hard luck loser at home in Minnesota against the Legion of Boom. Oh, why wasn't he throwing it a bunch in that game? Because it was freezing cold and he's playing the Legion of Boom, perhaps. But he still was managing the offense. The fact is the Vikings overinvested in Adrian Peterson at, at, at this point. And you look at that fourth quarter. 
Russell, if Russell, Russell going to Russell happens, the, the, the Seahawks snapped the ball over Russell's head, passed him like 20 yards deep. It ends up being their biggest offensive play of the game. Then Teddy Bridgewater completes a pass to Adrian Peterson, who then fumbles. Then Teddy Bridgewater drives them into, into field goal position at the end of the game, and Blair Walsh misses, misses a chippy field goal. If this guy beats Russell Wilson in his first playoff game, in his second season, where – he, if he's captain checkdown, the year prior, he Adrian Peterson gets hurt his rookie season. Adrian Peterson's hurt. His second year, he has to figure out how to how to deal with Adrian Peterson, who they prominently feature, and who is not the pass catching back that Christian McCaffrey is. Now you fast forward. You mentioned Kurt Warner. I think of Warner's teammate Jake Delhomme here in Charlotte. To me, Teddy Bridgewater can be Jake Delhomme. It just seems like that's a, that's a, a story that Panther fans aren't interested in. Like they would, some Panther fans want Trevor Lawrence or want the next big thing. When I think this offense, you know, because before Warner, it could have been Trent Green, and I don't think Warner's the only guy that would have succeeded in that offense. So Warner get benefits from the Trent Green injury in that situation. We don't, we don't want anybody to go down. You know, we don't want Teddy to go down. I think he's vital. But these guys that have gotten reps, that have been in locker rooms for five to seven years and now find themselves in a new situation with a lot to prove, that a former first-round pick, too? Like, Teddy Bridgewater has everything to prove right now. Like, this is a hungry fighter to me. I'm excited about him. You mentioned about how the fans aren't, aren't interested in that storyline, and they, they look ahead to – you know, the possibility of a Trevor Lawrence. Why do you think that is? Do you think it's because it's like the Cam Newton generation of Panthers fans that that don't fully know about that storyline? Or, like, what are your thoughts on that? What do you think about that? I hadn't thought of it really until you just brought this up, but the notion that a journeyman like a Jake DeLome or a Teddy Bridgewater, um, and I don't really think Teddy, think of Teddy Bridgewater as a, as a journeyman, but a, a guy – like that, that's getting a second chance, coming in and instantly being better than the Cam Newton-led offense, never mind the fact that it's been Cam's shoulder. But I think people, uh, you know, maybe that's hard for people to imagine. Can I also point out that last year, as my yard crew behind me now gets going, because they have to do it during a podcast, right? So they don't do it all week, but here we go. So I'm talking over weed whackers and lawnmowers now, and I apologize for that here on the, uh, the one-day contract situation. Um can I point out, too, that it was a different style of winning, but the Saints last year, their best play last year was actually with Teddy Bridgewater. Like, they, they, they – Drew Brees was not great at the end of last year. They, they were rolling along defensively. They found a formula with Teddy Bridgewater last year that, look, they would never not play Drew Brees. But it makes you wonder, could Drew Brees have taken – or, excuse me, could Teddy Bridgewater have taken them just as far or further last year? Different style, but he was rolling along, man. He was he was comfortable. Saying he was winning. And you look at his two primary weapons. Michael Thomas's receiving yards are effectively identical between starts with Breeze and starts with uh, with Bridgewater last year. He's right. He's like one hundred six and one hundred eight. And on the flip side, Kamara actually had more receiving opportunities with Bridgewater, which would excite which excites me for the possibility of CMC. Because make no mistake about it. We are shifting from a quarterback-driven offense to a running back-driven offense, but not in the sense of the old Adrian Peterson all-day running the ball type of, type of running back. 
And another thing about that Rams team is that it wasn't just Marshall Falk. It had Marshall Falk and Amp Lee, who both were led running backs as receivers out of the backfield and catching. This is what this is something we know Samuel's comfortable at doing. I, I, I'm so I'm so okay with them keeping Samuel under wraps as long as possible, as long as there as long as that that present is sitting under the tree at some point. The one the one thing I will point about the '99 Rams, to be fair here, that this team does not have that this guy never gets mentioned, but we have to be fair about this is they also had Orlando Pace too there. A Hall of Famer as well. That was certainly that this team is still trying to find anyone that could be anywhere, <laughs> can, can be the, the poorest version of Orlando Pace. So, so that, that's one guy that when we talk about that team. We need to be, make sure that we, he does, he's not a sexy position, but Orlando Pace certainly helped out a lot. And that's certainly part of the Teddy Bridgewater discussion, too, that, that who's he going to have at left tackle? Up in Minnesota, he had a reliable guy like Matt Khalil protecting his blind side early in his yep. career, and now he doesn't have that. Does he have that warrior, that guy, that left tackle warrior here that we've never quite friend? We've always wanted a McAleel here at left tackle. We really have. We, and, and we've thrown money at him. He just, he just, you know, I guess he's a small market team. He just, he's just too good to yeah. come to a place, come to a place like Charlotte. Well, he, he just got, he couldn't deal apparently with the media pressure of Minnesota and Charlotte. He just couldn't <laughs> deal with all the pressure that came with it. So, I knew we were in trouble when we had the, the Minnesota, uh, one of their analysts on McAleel. And he said, well, yeah, guys, he's good, but man, he's, he doesn't deal well with media pressure. I'm like, in Minnesota? Like, really? So, yeah, sure enough. Another, I, know we're, I know we're connecting all the dots to this 99 Rams team, but I, I should point out, too, that they did have – they were looking to re- replace their middle linebacker, stumbled upon an undrafted guy named London Fletcher who badgered his coach into giving him a tryout because his coach was John Bunting, former Tar Heel coach, who just so happened to play with one Sam Mills. And, of course, London Fletcher – uh, wow. You know, now years later, a uh, potential Hall of Famer. So just one more Panther tie. Wonder Fletcher, of oh. course, full circle. Wonder Fletcher lives in Charlotte. So there we go. Just going to say that. I was like, and it all circles back around as he lives in Charlotte now. The Panthers made a couple moves this week, too, since it, it kind of appears to be kind of a bloodbath in this wide receiver room right now. We got Omar, Omar Bayless had a knee scope, Seth Roberts and concussion protocol. Keith Kirkwood with his broken clavicle. So we've got Daryl Stewart, who was an undrafted free agent with the Packers. He's from what? I think he's a Michigan State. He's a Big Ten guy. And then another ex-XFLer, Cam Phillips. So he'll be reuniting with P.J. Walker. They played on the Houston Roughnecks together. A lot of XFL love going on on this team right now. Can I can I point out that we ha- we have more Houston Roughnecks on this roster historically than Clemson Tigers been drafted by the Panthers? Is that a problem? I mean, there's been some Panthers that they've got some guys from Clemson that have been on the roster, but drafting Clemson players, no. But signing Houston Roughnecks, you, we saw what Marty was up to during the pandemic. We know what he was watching. He was there. <laughs> He's hanging out with James Harden at night, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> you know, Granny, I a- Granny Pack. Granny gonna, Pat called today to say she was excited. Our caller on the Mac attack, Granny Pat called today, excited for Paul Walker. I was like, whoa, 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 hold, whoa, 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 hold on. Let's 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 reverse that. Um, let's let's play, salute Paul Walker. Like, let's not. It's PJ Walker there, Granny Pat. I am hoping that this offense will be fast and furious, though. Oh, there you uh, go. See, tied it. Yeah, pro, <laughs> pro's pro. 
No, I don't have a, a pro move. I, I like the idea that maybe PJ Walker was like, hey, coach, look, I, I'm no personnel guy, but that dude over there, 12 or whatever his number is, oh, that's, that's the wrong number to pick. Uh, I, I know a guy that can play better than that guy. And just been like, oh, look, PJ, I don't know if we trust you or not, but we're going we're gonna to kick the tires because we think we can do better than that guy too. I have no problem with, with guys possibly <laughs> vouching for other guys. <laughs> to, to piggyback off the list that you gave, though, that is one thing about this offense and, and the defense, really, because the depth on the team is still something you're dealing with in a rebuild. So once we get past the guys we discussed, once you get past that Curtis Samuel as the – you know, the, the, that receiving option, it, it becomes like there's not a lot of guys you can lose. So there's not like that guy knocking on the door on Curtis Samuel. That's why it was important to keep Curtis Samuel, quite frankly, because I'm not really – Seth Roberts is a dude, you know, like Cam Phillips. Just got, it's not someone there where you're like, wow, that dude. Uh, is it Brandon – is it Zalestra or is that my medication I got to refill? Is it Brandon Zalestra? Is that is my heart? I feel like heart he's team. like one of the longest tenured members of the team now somehow. Yeah, okay, Mr. Mr. Zilstra, Mr. Burson. Yeah, we know who you are out there, right? Um, yeah, there's not a lot of there's not a lot of high quality wide receiver depth. So the guy goes down. And, he, and it, you know, across the league it's that way, but especially for this team, it's not there's not a lot of wide receivers that I'm like, yeah, DeAndre White was a dude that played before got released. So there's not a lot of names where I'm like, ooh, yeah. I mean Farrell Cooper's a guy that I'm excited to see in the return game. But you know, his receiving skills hasn't really manifested itself yet to this level yeah as this team seems like they've, they've invested in speed and they've said they've been, they're investing in speed you, you you worry about the injury quotient I really think that's what we've seen you know we've talked about a couple of times out of the Falcons when you get smaller you want to get faster just the durability I think is going to be one of the recurring themes of the Matt Rule era looking forward is how if when you get smaller do your guys stand up over the course of a 20 20 game season ideally Especially this guys- season with the lack of preseason, yeah, lack of preseason games too. And there's going to be a lot of injuries early on in this. Like a lot of, a lot of baseball players are going down at a rapid rate with the muscle injuries from being off. What are, what are, what are football players going to be like here in the first couple of weeks? Yeah, absolutely. How are you guys feeling about the scrimmages that you're seeing and hearing about in this off season? I'm excited by it. I think it's actual competition. It sounds like it's a more interesting preseason, to be honest with you, in this in this way than than, than drills. Um, I think the NFL really may have stumbled into something here, where you could you could take the players, and you don't want them distracted by life. You want you want to shuffle them off to like a little small town, like you know, some somewhere they got some room, have a little campus area, and then and then just have them there, and then shoot this with you know like with cameras and everything and just do a reality show with the guys like living maybe like in a dorm or something maybe rooming together in in a small place and then I think you have that as a product that that, that you could really sell and I think it'd be a really interesting preseason maybe you know you just take it to a sleepy college town like Boone or like uh Spartanburg or something (laughs) I thought you were gonna say I thought you're gonna say Durham I thought you're gonna say (laughs) Durham I was I was I was I was waiting for something to come out of there no, it's been fun. That's a great idea. It's been a little bit tough for for me on the radio and back in the radio because the whole routine has been shifted, right? It's you're getting information, but you can't, you know, they they're controlling a lot of the information too, and you we're not down there, so it's been a little bit tougher. Uh, I think it's also been tougher too because in a normal year we'd already kind of know, like we kind of know about Cam already. We know about Brian Khalil and Thomas Davis and Rivera. We kind of get a feel for what was 
going on. Everything is so new that it's hard to get a grasp for, you know, we want to know how Matt Rule's handling things. And, uh, you know, it's been fine. I think the reporters are doing their best job. Uh, guys like Brett Jensen and uh, Jay Klein. Jay Klein, certainly from the Riot Report. Uh, Jay, that's the name, right? Jay Klein, I believe. Jared Klein. Do you guys know him, Jay Klein? Jared Klein. Uh, Jake, Jake's been doing a nice job. Um, it's Josh with yeah, a G. It's, it's been a little bit tougher, but um, yeah. And I, I just call it to what you're saying about the the media in terms of what you can make, like what it's going to be fascinating to see going forward what sports takes out of this this bubble stuff. Like what what lasts, like what actually works, what sustains itself. And then football certainly has questions too of what is working right now that maybe before we didn't know this thing worked. See, this is what I think could be the model for the new preseason. And, and I say, you know, somewhat tongue-in-cheek about the reality show. But I, I think I would rather watch four scrimmages of Panther players, like inter-squad scrimmages, than watch four preseason games with the Panthers versus another team. So if, if we're not going to get the information exchange the same way we have, we're not going to get the practices – but if we got four inter-squad scrimmages in the preseason and that became the information that we then had access to and then we could discuss and dissect and talk about the team, like that to me feels okay. Now, I know that there's obviously gate receipts yeah. and season tickets and yada, yada, yada and all that stuff. But to me, I, I think that actually might be a better product. Do you think that of all the sports, like we've like the, the NBA bubble, like I'm in, like it's fine. Like I don't – I don't think about the fans not being there. Like it's different, but they've done a tremendous job. We worried about the noise level and the the the, the players being hurt. Like it's been the NBA couldn't have done any better for what they've done. Baseball, it's weird, but we've adapted to it. Hockey's weird. Do you think football though is going to be the weirdest without the fans, Nikki? Especially for you for college football, like the college environments to me without the fans is going to be one where I'm like, wow, like like Tennessee without the fans. I mean, there's some maybe in there, but like. Like Nebraska without – if they were playing, no offense. Like Nebraska without fans, Michigan without fans. The college football without fans is one where I'm like, that's one where I'm like, ah, it's going to be tough. Okay, real quick, Nick, yeah. before we respond to that, uh, I feel like North Carolina football just took a little bit of a slight there, and I just want on record that I don't appreciate it, and it has been noted, Travis. Thank you. Go ahead, Nicky. Well, I want you to know that I saw the other day when Duke announced that they're not having fans, you were part of the 1,714 people that took shots at Duke not having fans did you see though colin real quick as we go on a tangent here that you can this is 100 percent true did you see that you can buy a cutout for wallace Wade stadium is it an and empty seat from, does it look like the, an empty the cutout, <laughs> the cutout but this is the the cutout price to get your face in the stadium ranges between 95 and 125 dollars aren't the games free to put your face in them Normally for students? Yeah, and, and also, like, tickets for, like, it's like $30. You could pay 95 or $125 to get your face at Wallace Wade. I got to be honest with you. A lot of times, I don't want my face at Wallace Wade Stadium. I'll pay money not to have my face in there. <laughs> anyway, we're off the rails now, and I like it a lot. I agree with you, though. Like, I just think that. You know, the, the no fans hasn't bothered me with any sports so far, but I thought this whole time about how, how weird this is going to be for some of these stadiums and teams. Some of these teams, I think, are going to benefit from it because they're not used to having fans in the stands. So for some people, it's not going to matter. I think it's going to have a big effect on some teams, though. I, I do think it's hilarious. I think it's going to affect, it's gonna affect, uh, 
don't know if that gambling because I don't know how you I don't know what I don't know what home field means in sports right now in terms of football pro and college. I don't know how you we have to see it. I, I don't know. It's just I was going through college stuff the other day trying to figure out the four playoff teams. And I was doing like the thing where I'm like, well, LSU plays at here, at here, at here. Georgia plays here. Then I'm like, well, what does that even mean? I, I don't even know. Like, does it matter where the games are even played? Same for the pros in, in terms of point spreads. And I, yeah, I no, it's, absolutely. It's gonna be wild. I, I don't. It's going to be fascinating to see. Unless yeah. it's like a West Coast East Coast swing, I don't see how home field advantage is a thing for any of these teams. You know what I mean? Like, I, unless you've got that that like massive time difference for a team. I don't think that home field advantage is is a thing anymore. I really do enjoy the fact that the NFL coaches are some of the ones whining about competitive balance um, for fans in the seats. Like this league has continued to have games with four cameras, uh, you know, like when it's the Panthers versus Jaguars in week two, and then 80 cameras at a, at a Ravens-Patriots game for replays. But this is the competitive balance we're concerned about. Miss, Just miss me I with think all there that. is something, though, with the – I do kind of get it to a certain degree within the division, though. Like if Buffalo goes to Miami and they have fans, and Miami goes to Buffalo, you don't have fans. I think it's. I think there's got to be some uni- uniform, uniformed uh, policy no. to it, though. That, that's just my take on. No, you know what the uniform policy is? Is that we normally have fans. That's the policy. In a year where we have a pandemic going on, guess what? Some stuff's different for some people. That's just the way it is. Like we could eliminate, like. How many games do we need? Does the NFL need to play this season for it to for it to be a season? Because I don't think it's sixteen. I mean, if everybody plays fourteen, are they not no. playing the playoffs? No, they would. I mean, heck, they 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 played an eight or nine game season back in the eighties, right? At one point during the strike year, mm-hmm. they played nine games one year. So, I mean, I, I think a lot of that stuff just because they're not talking about it publicly doesn't mean it, it it's not on the table for sure. And and to me, it's like that ranks so low on the list of concerns to me just in, in this year, in 2020, like in any other year, like, yeah, it would be completely unfair to Duke, for Duke, to ha- Duke basketball to have fans at their stadium and then Clemson to not have any fans at their basketball stadium. That's, that's not really fair. But it's a reality most of the time. So we've obviously are having the uh, positivity podcast right now, um, yeah. you know, minus Josh. A lot of glowing talk about, you know, we get excited when we talk about the offense. Let's switch gears and talk about the defense. Give me, give me a best case scenario for the defense. Yeah, last week, um, we, we talked a little bit about this, and, and I just want to kind of revisit it again because, Boney, I think the best way for this – we talked about this offense and why I think this offense can put up points. But I think this defense, it, where it's going to feast is on turnovers. Like, if they if the best case scenario is they get they tackle and they turn the ball over that's it those are the, those are the two things that this this defense really needs to do and i think if Derek brown kk short burns you know that that defensive front can make quarterbacks uncomfortable at least three of the four guys on the back end are going to be able to turn the ball over this offense we saw it in 2015 with the power of getting ahead early, I look at this offense, get them ahead early, get them a turnover. That's the recipe for success. Well, they're going to create some turnovers just based off the teams that they're playing because they're play- they're facing so many high-powered offenses. They're facing Brady's going to throw it around, Breeze, we know, Matt Ryan, uh, Mahomes, and Rock. They're going to be t- – they're going to look at this defense and they're going to say, we're going to throw over these guys. So there'll be opportunities there. And to me, it's not about – 
they're going to get lit up early by some teams. And to me, it's kind of like the Dolphins from last year where they were supposed to be bad, but it ended up being that they ended up finding themselves and playing hard as it went along. So I'm not as concerned with where the defense is, say, September, October, but where are they after the late bye week? Where are they in December? Are they playing well enough going into the next season? And it's not, and, and to me, the key to the future here, to some degree, because we talked about the stalwarts going forward of Burns, of Derek Brown, of Shaq, of Jeremy Chin, who's going to be fantastic, who might be their Cam Chancellor for crying out loud, linebacker and safety. To me, if they can find something in Dante Jackson to hang their hat on this year and not have to go find a number one shutdown corner, if he can be that dude that he's supposed to be, wins and losses aside, if Dante Jackson plays at a high level, that's just another area in the offseason where all of a sudden you go, hey, here's the core, and Dante Jackson's part of that core. But if not, and you're still trying to find both – I don't know who the other corner is either yet either. So if you're still going to try to find two corners maybe, it's going to be, it's going to be tough to find two guys that, are, that can contribute like that. Am I wrong? I feel like Dante's the kind of guy, though, that wants the challenges. Like, I think the, I think he, you know, Bradbury was getting some of those number one assignments. I think Brad, I think, I think Dante plays better when he knows he's getting that call. Like, to me, this defense, one of the ways you could be successful with this defense is you say, Dante, that dude, he's not, he's not getting the ball on yeah. this play, and just leave him one on one and let him do his, let him try and do his darn thing, and play ten on ten. Yep, and he's going to have some interceptions this year because he's going to get thrown at so much. Uh, also, like he's going to give up big plays. Like you can't you can't check the amount of dudes he's playing this year as a number one and not get beat. So you just got to live with it, right? Hey, there's going to be times when he's checking Julio Jones and he gets Julio. Like, what are you going to do? Like you, he's running a gauntlet in that division of, of Godwin and Evans and Thomas and Julio and even like Ridley. Like there's so many dudes in the division. Like who can stop some? No, even the best ones can't stop some of these guys. So, but I think he's going to make plays for sure. I think he's going to have some interceptions this year. I think he's going to make the plays. I think big plays will be part of the Dante Jackson story in 2020. Yeah, like I don't know. Like sometimes you get like the veteran defenses that are really geared towards you know the, the red zone, and like you may come down here and get three, but you're not getting seven. I don't think this is going to be that type of defense. I think they're going to be the t- the kind of team that makes a play on the 40 or may get scored on from the 40. But they're not not necessarily going to be red zone, you know, shutdown type defense. I don't I don't think the communique. I don't know that anybody's going to be great in twenty twenty in that regard. To be honest, right, and I agree with that. Any other Panthers tidbits or anything you want to discuss before we move on? Either of you? I don't think so. I think that, I mean, the Jeremy Chin, the Jeremy Chin role continues to be the most intriguing thing for me uh, about this defense. And it sounds like kind of a role that we thought Shaq might play is actually the role that Jeremy Chin is, is, is going to be the one that, that grows into it as That's Shaq good. moves, moves into it. And, and, and it, uh, for me, it's, it's about goes, health. Yeah. It's about, it's going to be about health. And, and he's a guy that's averaged multiple turnovers um, force per season, three-plus interceptions, I think, all of his years in college. So he's a guy that can turn the ball – another one of the guys in, in the mix, though, on that defense. As we're talking positivity here, one thing that we talked about today was, like, what's the formula? Like, I think they're, like – look, I think they're, like, right now – the over-under is, like, five. I think they're kind of near that. But Colin Coward, you know, whatever. But he's got them at seven or eight wins. We talked today, like, how would they even get to that point with the schedule? And there's two things that would have to happen in our positivity podcast here would be 
the division just falls apart. Like, all of a sudden, Tom Brady's old and Breeze. If the division, like, fell apart injury-wise and all of a sudden, for what can don't, whoa, the Falcons are, you know, bad and the Saints are not – not saying it's going to happen. We're just going through the formula of what would have to happen. Division falls apart. And also, some special coaches you – know, I'm not saying he's Bill Belichick, but this is my example. But guys like Bill Belichick, find ways that no matter what's on the roster, they make the team better. Like it does, you can put Colin, myself, and Nikki as defense for Bill Belichick, and he finds a way. We haven't seen Phil Snow yet either, or Matt Rule coach as a head coach. But like some coaches are just special. And if they can tap into something here and be one of those tandems that just makes whoever's on the roster better, well, that might be a few more wins as well, right? We don't know if that's the case. We don't know if it's a daunting, how daunting the task is. But if Phil Snow as a D.C. is special and Matt Rule's special, and it doesn't matter who they're coaching, they make them better, like Matt Rule did in college, that's something we got to account for, too, that they're going to elevate the play. So just looking on paper of a guy like uh, Dante Jackson, you go, well, Dante's this. We don't know what he is with Matt Rule and Phil Snow, though, right? Yeah. And, and a big part of this, this conversation, you know, the, the greatest show on turf or the greatest show under Tepper or whatever we're going to call it, is, is predicated on Rule and this, this coaching staff being competent. I mean, we know that they're rookies in a lot of regards. They're going to make some, some mistakes. But I, I'm, I, this is where I get confused because I actually think I'm more bullish than, than other people. Uh, you, you open against the Raiders, the Bucks, week two. I'm not, I'm not uh, believing that Tom Brady and Mike Evans are fully on board week two. I don't think that offense is clicking. I, don't th- I think Arians and Brady have uh, come from two completely different places in terms of offensive philosophy. And I think they're, I think they're going to be fine. But I don't think necessarily they're going to be fine the first week of the season. I mean, the, the Chargers and the Cardinals. I mean, if this team starts two and two, three and one, I won't even I won't even go so far as say four and zero. Oh. Like I, I just I think the expectations for the remainder of the season completely change. Not to completely segue something random here, but breaking news just flashed on my phone while you were talking. The Milwaukee Bucks have boycotted tonight's basketball game. They are not playing tonight's NBA game due to the shooting. So the Milwaukee Bucks are uh, sitting out there. So it just literally flashed on my screen while you're talking. So that's some uh, some some podcast breaking news there. That we, wow, that's uh, wow, that's something there, huh? Wow. Wow. And the 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 problem is the Magic were planning vacations based on leaving. That's I'm not trying to make light of this. I shouldn't make light of this. I guess, but no, no, I understand. But also like that, the trickle down effect of that we we've seen trickle down effects in a lot of areas in sports recently where one where a company will, will make a stand on something and then everyone else has to do it. So if the Bucks are going to sit out, well, then certainly LeBron James and the Lakers tonight probably and the Blazers, I'm, I'm guessing that this is going to be a – there was a meeting today of uh, – there was a meeting today or yesterday about trying to sit out. So um, yeah, yeah, Wash, derail, yeah, Wash just said that Lakers and Trailblazers, they're not playing game five. Wow. Wow. So uh, and, my, my question is this, like, and this might be a naive question. I don't mean, again, to derail what we're talking about here, but we have breaking news. Um, so, like, are they going to – are they not going to play again here in the bubble, or are they just going to sit out just to sort of make a, a point for one game, or is this going to be a thing where – because if you're trying to make a point for one game, Colin, then you come back and play another game. Are they just, are they just shutting it down then? Is that, is that what we're doing here? Well, that's just – like, so are we just going to skip game five, assume it was a tie, and then resume the schedule as if – Game six was in fact needed. You know, is that is that the because plan? just because skipping one game 
Yeah, the issues are still at hand here. So just just one game as a boycott <laughs> to to make your message clear. I'm not against what they're doing, but to make your message clear, you might just want to say we're not playing again. Like that would be that would be the message, not just one game. So I don't know. We'll have to figure out what they're what they're playing this year. Because this is the first round of the playoffs. I mean, there are three rounds left to go, and you make this type of statement. This is you know I've, the, the the shooting of Jacob Blake in Kenosha, Wisconsin. That, as we all pull it up here on our on our computers quickly, um, you know the, the police shooting. So, if if a situation like this happens again, you, you, how do you not how do you, how is it that not the action that you take in round two through four? Right. And, and, and but, Jacob but all Blake of a sudden, from Winston, yeah. Go ahead. Jake, Jacob Blake from Winston Salem and his dad is a, a Charlottean. So. Um, the, Again, these things, uh, as we often see, Nikki hit close to home in so many ways, right? And this is this is you know th- this is wanting to use your voice for good, but I, it does raise some serious questions. Like because once the money's once the money's different, you know the Bucks are doing this, okay? But the Bucks, if the Bucks end up not in the Eastern Conference Finals or in the NBA Finals, and then something does happen, this is this is tricky. This is tricky stuff for sure. Um, going forward, something that, quite frankly, we we haven't seen. We haven't seen this before, to my knowledge, to my memory. And so, and and this is something we handle. It, this is something I believe we've been close to. I'm sure someone's going to. We'll go back and revisit the, in the history of sports. There have been times where there have been you know young men in a locker room deciding whether or not to go out there um, and, and play. I think back to you know, and, and part of this has to get rooted in. Was it Clippers Warriors? Was that the game where they wanted? Yes, they wanted to protest, and then yep. they didn't. And then they, I think there was a lot of regrets about not post or not not protesting. So I think that, and the fact that these guys are in the bubble, yep. they're in the lunchroom together, they're on the campus, whatever. Yeah, this is this is real stuff, though. This is real stuff that they are gonna. If they're, if they're, if they're real messages. And we we've covered so much real stuff so much real stuff today on this podcast. I mean, think about the last time we did a one-day contract. I was with you guys a year ago around training camp time. Think about the stuff we're now covering one year from now. What what would we be thinking about a year ago? We said, hey, the next one-day contract you're on next August, we're going to be talking about uh, a pandemic, no fans in the stands, um, uh, teams boycotting NBA games. It has been been an exercise in just learning stuff, first of all, learning about a lot of different stuff, but just – one thing after the other that we we could have never saw coming, Nikki. Right? I mean, this is just this is this is insanity this year. And a lot it, of it, it, you know, there's no there's no playbook or, or handbook for any of this stuff for any of the things that we're experiencing and decisions that are being made and and what happens. It's all stuff that you know as it comes along, you you react and you, and you do these things. I mean the NBA. The NBA has is you know made it known they're going to be they're going to be active. They put on the backs of the jerseys. It's on the court. I mean they they want their guys to have a social voice. And if you if you go down that road, it's it's not it's not long before you're going to be in a situation like this. And you just have to, you know, I, I did, this is the reality of of giving guys giving guys their voice. I'll be interested to see if this happens again. Uh, one of the undercovered stories of the bubble, in my opinion, was the Jimmy Butler jersey situation where he wanted to go nameless on his jersey 
and then that felt like it was a story that was developing, and then that story just kind of went away, and Jimmy started playing with the with the jersey with his name on it. So, um, and then he got then he got he got sent away for a day to his room for some reason. He randomly was gone during a, a bubble game, a, a regular season game, and that they're was like, ah, oh, Jimmy, Jimmy's back. But you thought, okay, well, he's got some sort of symptom, right? Oh, he's gone, and then he came back like a day later. You're like, they just did he get mad and just go go to his coffee shop for a day? He's running like, where's he going? That's right. He, Which he I also think Jimmy Butler's, Jimmy Butler's Jimmy Butler's twenty dollar a cup coffee shop is also an underutilized storyline here in the bubble. <laughs> it's literally the set for Friends, the most successful sitcom ever. And they're like, "Hey, what if what if we have Jimmy Butler as uh, Boney? What's the guy's name? You know, the one that was obsessed with Jennifer Aniston? Uh, Gun- yeah, Gunther. 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 Yeah, Jimmy Butler is Gunther. See, it's a, it's a remake." I got it. Got that. Got that knowledge going. Got to crank it up. (laughs) (laughs) Well, major statement definitely made by NBA players today. Um, Let's talk about for one second our own NBA team. I know we got we have to have a Hornets corner today, guys. I I know that Colin's got thoughts. He hasn't slept in a week. I, I need to I need to hear some Hornets corner with Colin. Well, you know, like everything in 2020, it's not going to be great, but it can be. Maybe we can make the most out of it. And and number three, I I, I don't think I don't think if Anthony Edwards is what people say he is, I think he's gone. I think Lamelo Ball's gone. I think ultimately the Hornets will end up with uh, Mr. Anyeka Okongwu. Easy for me to say. You could think I, I could yes. be an NBA commissioner at number three. That's the guy, and um, you know we get so enamored, and you know, look, we we are we are um, we have to go by what the experts tell us at first because it's hard to for we don't we don't know who we're not scouts, so we go by the mock draft. So the mock drafts and the experts have told us it's Edwards Ball and Wiseman, Edwards Ball and Wiseman, and it's like, well, so we there's not a fourth guy in there. Okongwu of USC, six nine. He's the guy is the guy is a, a chiseled stallion, if I may say so myself. He's a 19 year old chiseled stallion. He's got an NBA ready body already. Um, just fits just fits the modern game. Rim runner, shot blocker, uh, and again, we don't see these guys for long. And guys get to the pros, Nikki and Colin, where all of a sudden, like Bam Adebayo from Kentucky, thought he was like a post big type of just kind of a pretty good player. Uh, Bam Adebayo is running the offense now for Miami in year three. Like, he's running the point forward spot. So, we look at guys at 19 years old, Colin, and it's like, oh, yeah, this is what he is. What's he going to be at 22 and 23 years old? And so, at 19, is he in the top three? No, not yet. But where's he going to be at 21 and 22? And I think you are spot on with Okongwu from Southern Cal. I think that's that's the dude that fits what they need the most next to P.J. and Miles Bridges. Of all the guys that you're going to be picking, you say who's going to be a guy that you could picture playing in the last five minutes of a playoff game or in the last five minutes of, of, of a game next to P.J. Washington? I feel like if those are your two bigs, you feel good about switching things, about playing defense in this new era of, of shooters first. Um, Killian Hayes, a, left-hand, a lefty, which is always intriguing, but he's too left-hand dominant for my liking. I actually think he looks uh, – I mean, I'm not convinced he's better than Terry Rozier um, in his NBA career. So, uh, Obi Toppin's a guy uh, that I know some people have talked about, and I'd be happy to include him in the in the mix. But as far as Wiseman, 
a big man without a, a real offensive skill set that we don't know exactly what he's going to do. I feel like we've drafted four of those guys. Let somebody else hit the jackpot on that one. We, we had Mike DeCourcy on from the Sporting News yesterday, who I trust as one of the best in college and just anything. So he went through the guys. He didn't like Anthony Edwards that much. He thought he was just a volume scorer with a lot of question marks, right? He didn't like LaMelo Ball that much. And thinking about James Wiseman, and I thought interesting point, Colin, was uh, his, his knock at AAU was didn't always want to play. Some games he wanted to play, some games he didn't. He goes to college, doesn't want to play. So you're going to draft a guy at three, and all we see with Porzingis with the Knicks now, not saying they're the same player, but I just mean when, when guys in the NBA just don't want to play, you're stuck with that. So you're going to get a guy here that has a sore knee, and all of a sudden he's gone for 10 to 20 games, and you're like, oh, well, now he's back, and now he's gone for 10 games. Okongwu has a uh, – a fight to him where that dude's not that dude's not sitting out a lot. He's 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 going to ball out. And Mike DeCourcy, when I brought up Okongwu's name, he didn't like anybody else. That's the dude. He said that's the guy that you watch him enough. You say where are the flaws? Where's the weaknesses? Yeah, outside shooting, of course, would be one, but that's not his game. But you watch him, you go, I know of all the guys, he's got the least question marks in the 2020 NBA. All these other guys, they are all these question marks. Okongwu, you circle them, you put them in there. You know what you're, you know, you at least know what you're getting. And then beyond, if he expands his game, then you've got even more. And then Denny Avdija, or whatever, however we pronounce his name, um, he's the new uh, Hizonia. He's the new Ilya Sova. He's, he's going to be way more of that than he's going to be Luka Doncic. Who was the one – who was the European player? <laughs> who was the European player from the Wizards? Jan Vesely? Yeah, the one that – Is that his name? The European he peaked, player He peaked Wizards, on but... draft night when he kissed his, uh, his kissed his lady. That may or may not have been drafted. Oh, my – yeah. So, for every Luka Doncic, there's always a Jan Vesely where I go, mm-hmm. uh-huh. Oh, there's a, there's a lot more than one for every Luka. There's, there's a whole slew of them. Can we point out in the last five minutes I've referenced Gunner from Friends and Jan Vesely in this podcast, and things are happening fast right now. <laughs> and I have really guys- good uh, 2015 Vikings salary cap takes, so we could just fit those in too. <laughs> Jan Vesely, Jan Vesely, Jan Vesely couldn't guard. Jan Vesely couldn't guard Gunther from Friends. <laughs> <laughs> Do you guys want to play a game now? Let's play a game. So this well, game is so I'm actually not here for small talk. This is this is Boney's idea for the game, actually. We're gonna call this What's in Your Closet. I was gonna say closet confessions, and Excuse I was me? like, I don't think that's right. I think how about what's in your closet? Yeah, that's a different that's, that's a, a Bravo different. show. <laughs> Speaking of, you are two of Bravo's biggest fans, I feel like. Quality programming. Uh, you mean- I mean- Oh, my gosh. Bernie, are you on Hometown yet? Am I on what? Are you watching Hometown yet? <laughs> what is this show? Oh, oh. no. Okay. I'm on Below Deck because of you. Season yeah. four. Yeah. Well, don't start Hometown until you're done and then start that. But, you All know, right, that's well, right. Hey. Yeah. Here. All right. Since this is your game, What's Bonnie, this game we're playing? I, this is yeah. your game. You, you came up with the idea of this. So, why don't we have you – Go first. Okay. Because you have, you have something you want to unveil or have us guess. So uh, I'm playing the role of Bone Barker here, right? The, um, the, the, the game show host, I guess. And I'll use my <laughs> microphone, which is actually a, 
it's actually a actually a lighter. Um, so uh, <laughs> I found, you know, I have like, as Colin knows, I have like a hundred old jerseys that I could. There's a whole podcast waiting to happen on what jerseys I have. So I found an old school Panther jersey here from back in the day. I'm going to give you guys some hints to try to figure out which jerseys in my hand here. So Colin, this is a jersey of a first round draft pick from the Carolina Panthers. That's okay. hit number one. Okay. He's a hit number two. To, that's a tough one. That could be a hit number two, a two-time Super Bowl champion, but not with the Carolina Panthers. This is a 1990s player, two-time Super Bowl champion, but he did not win those with the Carolina Panthers. But he was also – so he was drafted here, first rounder. Yep. Went on oh. to win two champions. Yeah. I uh, will take Tyrone Poole. Gosh darn it. It is Mr. <laughs> – I'm holding my phone up here, but it is Mr. Tyrone Poole. I have a Good Tyrone answer. also spit in the face of Steve Smith at one point. Uh, <laughs> Fort, Fort Valley State. Fort Valley State. I, I – you could tell me right now, T-Bone, go drive to Fort Valley State, and I wouldn't know where I was going. You wouldn't know which direction to head? I don't, it's not even a, by the way, not even the state, Fort Valley. I looked it up. <clears throat> um, <laughs> I, have to, I have to be honest. It is a little bit tough for me to do this one um, because I don't think there's any actual hints I could give you um, to, to get you to guess this piece of Panther memorabilia. Um, yeah. if, you, if you will look in your cameras here, that would be a 2016 Carolina Panthers playoff shirt, uh, which is of course, wow. How about which is special Wait, because they they did not actually make the playoffs in 2016. Yeah, I was curious. Remember the hangover year? Remember the hangover year? Yeah. Barker has so many questions. Bone Barker has so many questions here for this. 2016 playoffs. I've got my lighter here. If you want to burn that thing, you can go right ahead. I mean, I don't oh. know. Why oh. do you have that? Oh, well, we, don't ask that about that shirt. Ask it about this shirt I haven't said. What uh, What Duke player do I have a shirt from? This is a, not, this is a, a basketball thing. This is a basketball shirt from a Duke player. Um, there's, no way this is, this a, is, there's no way you have a shirt of – yeah. This is this is from our time of knowing each other. So this is not like an old Thomas. Yeah, that's Hill. gotta be Yeah, that's gotta be Gerald Henderson. Close. Close. That is a good guess, but we were actually looking for Team Grayson. <laughs> Where did you find this thing at? Goodwill, where all I do right, all of back. my shopping. Hey, you guys, I I'm getting showed up here. Hold on one second. I'll be right back. <laughs> <laughs> it just got a little competitive here on the back. <laughs> I can't this wait isn't to see even what he a guessing game, with. Colin. I'm raising you. I'm raising you. What is this, Colin? What oh, is that, this? That's a, that is yeah. a Bobcats jersey. Is that a Sean May? No, it's an Adam Morrison. The that's last time we had a that's three, an Adam three Morrison. It's too small original to be a Sean May. I, I, original game. I've worn this more than Morrison has. <laughs> it's kind of like, kind of like all those Frank Reich Panther jerseys that we sold right. By the, the way, beginning of the Colin, year. you know what's crazy? I've got Morrison here, right on top of the Tyrone pool, 
they've won four championships combined, these two guys. That's true. Because Morrison also, yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's some draw. Two first-round picks here that did nothing and are four-time champions. The, he was on that 2010 Lakers team, of course, with, with Kobe. With what NC yeah. State undrafted player was on that 2010 team? Uh, Josh Powell? Ding, ding, ding. Well done, sir. Look at that. Showed up with the Morrison jersey and got the Josh Powell. When Josh Josh isn't here, I start cooking, man. I'm just cooking (laughs) right now. Who do you think – has anyone sold – like, I mean, the Morrison draft excitement um, definitely sold some jerseys. Has anyone sold more than Manziel and then flamed out? Was like, do we think Manziel was like the number one, like, bought bought instantly, bought on draft day, no doubt about no. it. No, no, his predecessor, Tim Tebow. Mm. Oh, Tim yeah. Tebow sold a ton of jerseys, right? And and guess who has one? I'll be right back. <laughs> I'm just, I'm just, <laughs> I'm just kidding. You mean the original Lamar Jackson, Tim Tebow? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. There you go. Now, Nikki, do you have a piece of memorabilia there? So I got the first Panthers jersey that I ever purchased. Mm-hmm. Lake Brockermeyer jersey, I see. Jason Peter. <laughs> Let's so, see. What, okay, what year is this purchased? Let's see if we can get this right. What year was this jersey purchased? So I would have purchased this in 2004, I believe. Oh. So there's yeah. a decent so, chance there's a Smitty. No, I got it, oh. Colin. Is it Minner oh. or Rucker? Oh! Oh! Oh, upset! Upset! I, I thought everybody would say... Do people still it. raise the roof? <laughs> I thought everybody Whoop, would have made it. Is. I don't know why. I can't. I'm I raising the roof. Yeah. <laughs> Whoop, there it is. Whoop, there it is. A Mike Minner jersey. I got to be honest with you. I... I thought it was going to be Ruck. Once he said the Nebraska boys, I thought it was going to be Ruck for sure. Yeah, that's what I figured everybody yep. would think it was Ruck first. But the first one was a Mike Minner jersey. Now, let's put in a bonus wow, question. Wow, how about that? What do yeah. you think is the weirdest thing in Josh Klein's closet? A, a J.J. Jansen jersey. Ooh. Oh, Josh Klein. I think Josh Klein has his own jersey of something. He's got his own customized jersey of something in there. Did he did he snag an AJ Klein practice jersey at some point? Did he just like smuggle it into the bag, you think? I mean, look, if there was a if there was a <laughs> Panther with the last name Hoggard, I'm just saying I'm thinking about it. I wouldn't be mad at it. Yeah, him. he's got his own he's got his own jersey of something. Yeah, he just scrapes the A and then the, you know, <laughs> off you know, just makes it say J Klein on the back. Yeah, that's it. He's got. The, I think. I think we hit on that one. Not even. Not even the debate. Really, I think we all agree. Agreed. Yeah. Agreed. Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. Wh- whether or not he will acknowledge it, we'll see. But it definitely exists. Yeah. Exactly. Absolutely. Absolutely. Exactly. T Bone, where can all the folks find you on the internet and on the airwaves? Well, basically, right now, I don't want to be found anywhere. So I'm just kidding. no. Uh, I'm at. That's my I'm bit. At T Bone WFNZ on. Yeah, I'm trying to get rid of people. All right, uh, I'm at T Bone WFNZ on Twitter and on Instagram, and we're on the radio 
Monday through Friday, 6 a.m. to 10 a.m. on 102.5 and the radio.com app. We're also on your TVs now. If you download radio.com, you download radio.com, the app, you can put it on your, like, your devices, like your Roku player. And we're on there. Not, on, not like visually, but you can hear us on your TV set now. So it's like, a, like an app, like a streaming app. So we're all over the place. And you, so. have, you have the most informed, balanced, unemotional Panther conversations in the mornings in Charlotte, without a doubt. Just even keel, man. Just yeah. even keel. We don't fight about anything. We just see eye to eye on every topic, every, every single topic. Just, we wouldn't fight about hockey or anything like that. Oh, yeah, that's right. That was a week ago. What other fan base do you guys think is like still armors up to fight for an ex quarterback? Like, are, are there others? No. Are we? Uh, we're, we're alone, right? Like, like there's not like uh, Vikings truthers that yeah, are like, look, Ridgewater, man, this is this I is don't the shot. The, are the Patriot are the Patriot fans fighting for Brady this much? No, yeah. no, Brady just got to go to Tampa Bay and get left the hell alone. <laughs> <laughs> that's a great question yeah, that's a great question yeah i don't i don't, I don't know it's anything about it it's, it's not going away so it's, it's going to be the there's going to be more storylines about cam that i talk about than other topics sometimes yeah i mean he's been such a big part of the identity of, of this offense i think it i think it really impacts the way people see cmc and dj Moore as guys that you know i think you know can be frontliners on an offense but because it's been cam and the miracles for so long i just think that that's the way people view this team and and, and teddy is not cam but cam's, maybe are, he cam's are air craft <laughs> cam's are air craft that's right t-bone i am curious in a world of a, a pandemic and um protests and everything else that yeah. that's happening your listeners and the people that that text call and message and whatnot um are, are they even more extra i assume or are they the same because they've always been extra you mean just like just sort of like you know the the attitudes we get is that what you're talking about just like off the off the rails you mean sort yeah of? um yeah. you know um yeah i mean obviously the the racial stuff gets really that that gets really you know that that can get really bad, but outside of that, you know, um, it depends on it depends on the topic. With, with Cam, we know that we see it on social media ourselves where there's it's split, right? Some people have moved on, and there are some people that I see members of the Roaring Riot. I see uh, I saw a woman buy a Cam jersey from the Patriots, and it's like you know I don't I don't agree with any of that stuff. At some point, we've just got to let Cam go, appreciate Teddy Bridgewater, and. Uh, Look, we started this podcast by saying there are some rebuilds, like the Jets over the years and the Knicks, that's two teams I root for, that there's never any hope, right? It's just – it's constantly, constantly trying to figure out how you're going to rebuild. The Cleveland Browns forever was constantly trying to figure out how you're going to rebuild. Well, they figured out here how they're going to rebuild. It's just a waiting game of how long till we see the fruits of the labor. There, there are much worse rebuilds than we're seeing here. And I think that fans need to be excited for the hope that Matt Rule has for this team. And I think guys like Jeremy Chin, Brian Burns, Derek Brown, there's hope there, man. And it's just a matter of time before we see that hope turning to wins. Thinking back now, I, I'm going to suggest uh, Florida State fans supporting Charlie Ward not getting a, a chance like that. I feel like that's the only other guys that like still support a quarterback, an ex-quarterback to the same degree. 
You know, they also they also support Jameis a lot too, still. It's true. But they get defensive about Jameis. So especially early Jameis, like they got really defensive. Then eventually Florida State fans were like, Yeah, this dude ain't it. <laughs> but but early early Jameis, so they they defended him. So yeah. Well, just just you know, it'd be worse to not only get fooled by Jameis, but to get fooled by his weapons that he had at Florida State. That would and then, you know, that probably works. <laughs> For sure. Colin, where can they find you? At Colin CLT on Twitter. Lots of NBA hoops, salary cap, uh, and NFL discussion as we actually get to see these guys. I'm serious about my, my scrimmage idea. I would I would watch – I'd pay my, my money to watch four Panther scrimmages, team one versus team two, and then we can all vote on who we liked. I, <laughs> I love it. I love it so much. <laughs> And, you know, you can find Josh at Josh Klein Rules. We'll give him a shout-out just because, you know. I mean, podcaster of the year three times in a row. He deserves a shout-out, I guess. But then it does make you wonder why is winning the podcaster of the month for August 2020 so important to him that he had to go today to accept the award. But, you know, to each his own. Where is this award award given out at? The Klein household. Yes. By his dog. His dog is giving him the award, I believe. Now I get it. Yeah. The trophy, the trophy you look (laughs) like that that you get, there's they come in sixes. That's those are the trophies that you get. (laughs) (laughs) I get it. (laughs) Well, this has been one day contract, part of the Riot Network. T Bone, your one day contract is up. You know, we had breaking news in this show. We brought it to you as we saw it live to get kind of our reactions. You know, a big Bold statement by NBA players today. So I'm going to end the show um, a little unconventional right now, just with a quote from John Lewis. When you see something that is not right, not just, not fair, you have a moral obligation to say something, to do something. Our children and their children will ask us, what did you do? What did you say? We have a mission and a mandate to be on the right side of history. Everybody stay safe out there. Wash those hands. Be nice to each other.